As I mentioned, the sermon series concludes this morning as we focus particularly on the Father and His great love and His call for us to come home. I would remind you that not only are we going to be referring to the painting that is here on the floor on the easel and a smaller print of it out in the lobby, but also on the back of your bulletin is a printing of it. It's amazing, the detail. And during the course of the message, you may want to be referring to that as we think together in a wrap-up fashion about this marvelous story of Jesus about the father and the two sons, a love that is just absolutely life-changing and radical for us. I invite you to bow with me for a time of meditation and reflection and prayer. Father, it is so good to be in your presence and to be silent in your presence, to just soak up your being and your goodness and your love. Lord, we've all been in a far country of sin and doubt and guilt and failure and just simply being preoccupied and ignoring you, taking you for granted. So we long to come home this morning. Our hearts are hungry for the banquet feast of your uh, amazing, extravagant goodness and love. Have mercy on us today. Have mercy on this community with all of our needs, and with all of the suffering and the struggles, with all the people who are without Christ. Have mercy on our nation as we try to find a way to move forward together. And have mercy on our world so desperately in need of healing, violence and pain and hunger and suffering. We pray today for those in our military service that you will protect them and watch over them. We pray that you would cause wars to cease to the end of the earth. We pray for our mission partners today, and particularly we pray for our sisters and brothers in Ukraine and Kenya as the good work goes forward there. We pray for those in our congregation who are ill and who are grieving. We ask today that you guide us by your Holy Spirit, cleanse us and renew us and refresh us. We ask today that you open our hearts, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts might be about you and might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Now I want to read from Luke's gospel, chapter 15, one more time, uh, the story of the father and the two sons, and I want you to particularly be watching and listening for hints about the possibility that God is more loving, more generous, better than we even imagine God to be. Uh, I'll begin reading in verse 11 through the end of the chapter, and would you stand with me, please, if you are able. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, And no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up, and I will go to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What if God's love is more and different than we imagined? What if God is more and different than we imagined? Jesus tells this story ultimately to give us a new and revolutionary picture of who God is and what God is like toward us. And there are some concerns in this story and uh, during the weeks of dialogue with you before and after services and during the week, uh, you've raised some good points. And somebody always asks the question when this story is told, uh, wasn't the older brother uh, within his rights to complain about the younger brother having his bad behavior rewarded by the father. The younger brother goes off and disobeys. And then when he decides to come home, the father holds the banquet and the older son is very petulant and very, very unhappy about it. Uh, And you know, sometimes we think about uh, a parent's love as being unfair or God's love being unfair. Why do people get by with things sometimes? But here's a point to remember. Perhaps that older son had forgotten all the times that the father had forgiven him lots of sins and lots of mistakes and lots of small petty rebellions. Maybe the father had loved and forgiven the older son all along the way, but he saved up all of his forgiveness for the younger son who'd been in a far country. But usually when we're angry and when we're jealous, we don't think about things like that, do we? We worry so much about God being unfair and 
extra kind to people who don't deserve it, but we forget all the ways that God has been kind to us in ways we don't deserve as well. And it's a good reminder to come back to that central core that God's goodness is for everyone and and we all receive more love than we deserve. Somebody will also uh, raise the point in this story, doesn't this story of Jesus uh, create a kind of cheap grace? Go out and live like you want to, and when you're ready, come home, and God's forgiveness is not only free, but it's cheap. The Father just says, oh, come on back. I disagree. The Father's love in this story was absolutely free, but it was not cheap. The Father paid for the Son's sins. Somebody always has to pay for the sins. For example, when the younger son left, the father had to find another hand to start doing the farm chores and jobs that that younger son had done, so he had to pay out of his pocket wages that he wouldn't have had to have paid. He paid for the boy's sins. What's more, when the younger son cashed out and took his share of the inheritance, that decreased the, the size of the pool of, of the financial resources in the estate, and the father had to make those up. The father paid for the young man's rebellion, but there's even more. The father paid in deeper ways for his son's sins. If you look carefully at the painting by Rembrandt, either on your bulletin or glancing down here at, at the print on the, on the floor, the father's face is lined with aging and worry and weariness. The son's departure had cost the father dearly. His shoulders are slumped. The son's sin had taken its toll on the father. Within his own soul, he had absorbed the hurt and the grief and the brokenness and the mistakes of his son. And God does that for us. God bears the suffering for our sins in his own great heart. God bears and absorbs that that rebellion, and he he takes it into himself. And, And scripture says that God empties God's self for our sins. And that God's very being is scarred by our disobedience. And I love that Bible verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It's not that God was standing aloof with arms crossed saying, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm mad at human beings. Jesus, you take care of it. I'm going to punish you. It's not like that. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was there on the cross absorbing all the pain of our disobedience and our sin and our rebellion and our mistakes. God paid for our sins. And then somebody wants to uh, read this story and say, well, why didn't the father just save himself a lot of misery and forbid the young man to leave in the first place, saying, no, I'm not going to give you your money. You stay home and grow up. You ever try that? God's love never backs us in a corner without choices. God, 
Our Father never coerces us, never manipulates us without choices, because coerced love is never love. Coerced obedience and worship is never, is never genuine obedience and worship. And God loves you so much that he always gives you a choice. You and I may walk away from his love. We may reject his love. That is always our choice. And so that God, who is all-powerful, becomes powerless on the cross. Where he says, you know, if you choose to rebel against me, even if you choose to kill me, I will not stop loving you. You have choice. That's what the message of the cross is all about. There's a powerful image of the Father's love in this um, painting by Rembrandt. And art critics and Bible scholars have studied it for centuries. The Father's left hand on the repentant boy's shoulder, the fingers and thumb are spread out as if he was palming a basketball. There's almost some tension there as if the grip is very, very solid as if he's gripping, not just touching. The fingers and thumbs spread out. But notice the right hand, there's a gentler touch, a softer touch, a tender touch. And it's as if Rembrandt were trying to talk about the amazing love of God that is both tough and tender, the amazing love of God that makes demands on us and yet tenderly, wipes away our sins and forgives us. It's an an amazing theological concept that in God's being there is perfect balance between this tenderness and this toughness. Uh, Last year, uh, about a year ago, I was privileged to take a a trip with several to Israel uh, to see the Holy Land there. And I think it was on our way back Uh, we were in an airport uh, layover waiting, and everybody was pretty weary. It was a strange time of day because nobody knew what time it was. And we were flying El Al, the Israeli airline, so obviously there were on the airplane many observant Jews uh, returning from pilgrimage back to the States or vice versa. And uh, in in the weariness of the early morning, sitting not far from me in the waiting area at the, at the airport uh, was a little two- or three-year-old boy, a uh, little Jewish boy in a stroller, and he was so tired. You know, with every move he made, he seemed to be saying, I want a real bed, you know. I'm just tired. And at one point, he just moaned, Abba, Abba, crying out for his daddy. And I thought to myself, what a tender picture of God's love for us. That's what Jesus said when he was agonizing in Gethsemane, whether or not he would go through with his death the next day. That's what the Apostle Paul says, we are privileged to cry out in our hearts when the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're really God's children. Abba, Papa, Daddy. 
what a tender, beautiful truth that God is Father for us. And then, of course, Jesus in this story wants us to really get the fact that God is the extravagant banquet giver, that God's love is not petty, it's not parcel out just enough. There's this extravagant, over-the-top amazingness about God's banquet-giving being. The father says uh, to his staff, go kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a barbecue. My son has come home. Now, in our Western culture, we miss half the power of that story because in Jesus' day, most common people, the peasant class, had meatless meals. Most people could not afford meat for meals. I mean, Jesus didn't teach us to pray, give us this day our daily burger, did he? He didn't teach us to pray, give us this day our daily chicken breast. He taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Because that's all most people could eat. But here in this story, we're going to have meat today. And not only a little bit, kill the fatted calf. There were no means of refrigeration in that day. There was was no opportunity to save back and and to to preserve it. So when you kill the fatted calf, you better invite a lot of people. And you you better have a lot of appetite. And you better have a big party because you don't want to waste any of it. Because it's a banquet for everybody. And do you remember that the most famous psalm in the Bible talks about God setting a table before us in the presence of our enemies and our cup overflowing, our cup never being empty, the table laden with food. And right at the end of history in Revelation 19.9, there is that description of what will be the marriage supper of the Lamb, the greatest wedding feast meal you have ever seen. There'll always be plenty. And Jesus wants us to understand that the deepest hungers of the human heart are met in Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, God is feeding the deepest hungers of our souls. And this is the Father's extravagant, marvelous love. Henry Nouwen has a great line I want to share with you now uh, from his book about this painting and about this parable. Here is the God I want to believe in, says Nouwen. A father who from the beginning of creation has stretched out his arms in merciful blessing, never forcing himself on us, but always waiting, never letting his arms drop down in despair, but always hoping that his children will return so that he can speak words of love to them and let his tired arms rest on their shoulders. That to me says it all. You may be sitting here this morning thinking, I get the story, but I just don't feel God's extravagant love. I, I, don't, feel, I don't feel as if I'm receiving that love, and I, and I have a lot of trouble sharing that love. Well, see, that's the older son's problem too. Remember when he was angry and he said to his dad, this son of yours... As if to say, he's no brother of mine. This son of yours wasted all your money. And then the father gently corrects him. 
He said, we had to celebrate because this brother of yours. See, if you're not feeling God's extravagant love this morning, if you're not receiving it and you're not able to share it, it may be that you're choosing not to participate. It may be that you've forgotten that God's love always is routed through other people's hearts. It never comes directly from heaven. It's always routed through other people's hearts. God's grace is always channeled through other people's lives. The elder son had to learn, the only way I'm going to really participate in my father's love is if I love my brother too. Now that's not negotiable and it's not optional. It simply is that God's love is always routed through other people. Look at this verse from 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. God's love and grace are always routed through others. We both receive and give love to God, receive love from Him through others. What if God's love is more than you've imagined. Are you ready for a new kind of love? Are you ready for a new kind of faith? A new kind of relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you ready to come see what love can do? Let's bow our heads together. As we bow for just a moment, I want to challenge you, whoever you are, If you could imagine yourself today allowing Jesus to take your hand as he puts his other hand on your shoulder and Jesus saying to you, let me introduce you to my Father. Let me introduce you to this loving being who loves you infinitely. Could you imagine that this morning? And if you've never done that before, maybe for the first time you're ready to step into God's love. And to receive God's love through Jesus Christ. Or maybe if you're already a believer but you've been living in bitterness or tiredness or just a distant country kind of spirit. You would allow God, allow Jesus to gently take you by one hand with his hands, other hand on your shoulder. And to gently lead you into God's presence and say, let me reintroduce you to my loving father. What would that mean for you this morning? During our response time, if you want to come pray with us or talk to us about any of that, or after the service if you want to, or if you have a church membership decision. But most of all, we just want each person here to let Jesus lead you into the presence of a loving Father. Lord, speak clearly to our hearts, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen.